Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You can gorge near a number of other sacred areas of extreme significance to our peoples across the country that are being, you know, because of the cultural heritage laws that are in place are, you know, not actually protecting our heritage at all. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03 9419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. And we just heard Sally with Out of the Pan. Out of the Pan is on every Sunday between 12 and 1pm. And Sally's last track was George by The Wet Spot. Spots. Oh. Wet Spots. Okay. Correction. The Wet Spots. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) So today we're on the radio um, with Caroline and Adam, and we have a special guest, Robin from Lambcare Australia. Thanks for joining us, Robin. Thank you. So Lambcare Australia is a not-for-profit registered charity that rescues and rehomes orphan lambs uh, born during the lambing season in Victoria. That's right. Could you start off by... um, giving us a bit of background on Lamb Care Australia and how you came to be and how long you've been operating? We've been operating, uh, this is our fourth year, we started in 2018 and it was after, uh, in 2017, um, I, I'd i been actually volunteering at some sanctuaries you know, for a few years and I really liked sheep <laughs> and so I ended up, I adopted a few, a few from the sanctuary. And then in 2017, I thought I'd really like the experience of fostering a couple of lambs. So I took on board a couple of lambs and that was sort of my big introduction to that. And at the same time, a friend of mine who was living in country areas, she saw the need for an organisation to be rescuing lambs to to take care of them and... um, just yeah, try not to let so many die. So she and I sort of, I think we came to it at about the same time. And then um, we were looking after lambs that year just on our own, just the two of us, uh, vet bills being what they are. We were paying for them ourselves and we realised, you know, we really couldn't keep doing that ourselves. Mm. So we decided to set up an organisation and we got a few more people on, bo- um, on board and that's where Lamb Care Australia started. So we actually formed the organisation at the very end of 2017, and mm. then our first lambing season was in 2018. Mm. Fantastic. So can you outline for listeners um, what the lambing season is like? What, when does that start? Um, what sort of really happens during that time? We call it winter lambing season, but mm. it's really... It's starting earlier and earlier, we're finding, and it's going later. So we, it started in about March this year. And generally, it depends on the areas. You know, different areas do lamb in different times. But I think last year we had our last lambs come in September. I think we still had a few in October. But, mm, wow. you know, by October it was, it was um, there were really only a few there. So it's, even though we call it a winter lambing season, it's actually a lot longer than that. Mm. And... It's really hard for the lambs, hence the need for our organisation. Um, millions die 
I know there's an industry figure, there's a figure that goes around 10 to 15 million. That is an industry figure from 2012. Mm-hmm. And now, because that's, we would, we would really like an accurate figure, but we actually don't know how to get there. So mm-hmm. we do know it's millions that die each year. Uh, they die from exposure, malnutrition. Uh, I mean, it's, there's predators as well, but a lot of them die from exposure, um, mm. especially when they're abandoned by uh, their mother. So um, a big reason for that is that multiple births are very common now. Ewes uh, are actually selectively bred for multiple births. Mm-hmm. They're only naturally supposed to have one lamb, like humans, mm. have one child, but, you know, multiple births is the exception. So, of course, when they have two or especially three, mm. they often can't take care of them. So they abandon them. It's not, you know, it's not their fault. It's not mm. the fault of the ewes. It's the situation they've been put into. And so once the lambs are on their own, you know, newborn lambs can't uh, look after themselves. If they're not taken by a predator, they die very quickly from exposure. Um, hypothermia sets in. They can't regulate their body temperature without their mum to protect them, mm. you know, without her milk. And then they die very quickly. So that's basically what happens to millions of them mm. uh, each year across well, throughout Australia. So can I just ask, um, maybe for those who, of us who might not know, but when, when would lambs or sheep usually be having um, lambs? When would they usually be, be giving birth? Is winter the usual time? That if a lamb was allowed to just do what it does, would it be giving birth before and over winter? Or would it be waiting until, I always, you know, spring lamb. Spring, yeah. <laughs> um, it makes a lot more sense from a mm-hmm. biological perspective. Spring's warmer, there's lots of grass around, it's quite, it's a bit nicer. Are, are lambs, like, do they biologically usually breed during winter? Or is this well, something that we've done? It's it's an industry thing that... Um, that use a time to give birth during winter. There's uh, a couple of reasons, or you know, a couple of primary reasons for that. One is that then by the time the lambs are weaned of the milk, that's in springtime and all the grasses are growing and there's a lot of food for them. Farmers don't have to supplement the food. They don't have to spend as much money, so it comes down to money. And more recently I found out that... Um, Actually, this is actually this is more to do with shearing the, in the winter. You know, that's another issue with them being born in winter, and the sheep in um, being shorn pre-winter, is that uh, the birth of the lambs puts a huge stress on the sheep body, and so by shearing pre-winter, uh, the the stress can cause a break in the wool, and so then when the wool's only just growing back, the break will be at one end of the wool instead of in the middle. So there's that issue as well, affects the ewes. Um, It's the fact that they're born in winter and they're born in winter so that it saves the farmers money. Um, So there's a huge issue with the whole winter, the timing of winter for everything really. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't heard the um, the break in the wool. So mm-hmm. that means wool quality. Mm-hmm. If they mm-hmm. weren't shearing before then, before the um, the giving birth or the, or the breeding period, then the wool quality could be lower. Yep. If they shear beforehand, it, it negates that a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I hadn't heard that. So a lot of things happen during winter that aren't natural, and mm. including that and including, yeah, the, the birth of the lambs is not natural occurrence. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so in in relation to um, lambs and exposure to the elements, Mm -hmm. this is something that I found really intriguing given that there are uh, provisions like Section 9 of the Prevention of Cruelty um, to Animals Act from 1986 actually specifies that there should be proper and sufficient shelter provided to all animals and that sheep should be provided shelter um, when temperatures are either below or above mm-hmm. you know, average temperatures and the amount of shelter required should be sufficient for all animals, even if they need to be sort of rotated. And in terms of um, Agriculture Victoria, they also talk about um, the high rate of lamb deaths that, you know, obviously, as we've sort of talked about, that 70% of lamb deaths are happening within those 48 hours um, after birth. And that one of the significant issues is actually the exposure to um, wind and rain combined. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, when a lamb's coat is totally um, saturated, you know, that can increase their heat loss by sort of 13%. 
wind um, on top of that, um, you know, with a wet coat sort of increases that um, likelihood by sort of 18%. And Agriculture Victoria themselves actually acknowledge that studies show that um, in cold, wet and wintry wintry weather, like we have in Victoria, that lamb deaths could be reduced by around 30% with good Mm -hmm. shelter. So reducing the wind speed um, being a critical factor to the increased survival of lands, of lambs. So knowing all of that, I, I find it really hard to wrap my head around the fact that there are lambs out in the elements and ewes, of course, mm-hmm. with no shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I find that incredible how that, that continues to be. Uh, so do I. I think the fact that you can read something like that and they have all those recommendations mm. and they know, they know what's better for the animals. Mm. But the problem is they are just recommendations unless mm. people are actually going to follow them. You know, there's no, there's nothing in, uh, there's no legal um, thing that says, you know, you have to do this. It's just mm. recommendations. Uh, but th- I agree, the fact that they're actually written down, it's not like people are denying any of it. It's actually in writing. Mm. But it still doesn't um, – I'm not saying on all farms. There are farmers that do provide shelter. Mm. Uh, there are uh, good practice farmers. So I'm not, I'm not saying that all farmers are in that boat. But I've seen paddocks where um, there's not one tree. There's not one tree, not one rock, nothing. So in the, in the summer, it's bad enough they're out in the heat all the time. Mm. And sheep do suffer heat stress. But then if you think then that same paddock would be lambing in winter – Mm. And the lambs will be without, and the ewes, you know, they'll be without any shelter at all, even though the guidelines do say they need it. Mm. And it's not, um, you know, as far as shelter goes, it's not saying that you have to plant trees that are going to take 20 years to, you know, start providing proper shelter. I've read recently that um, there's grass you can grow that grows quite tall. And that provides excellent shelter as well, provides mm. shelter not only from predators because the predators can't see the lambs, but also, as you say, from the wind. Mm. It's a huge, the wind is a huge issue. Mm. So even as simple things as growing that long grass, I think it's some sort of native grass, I'm not sure what sort it is, mm. even that would be um, a solution. But I, farmers don't, I don't know, I, don't, I can't explain why farmers don't go down that track and surely they would be saving more lives if they did. Yes, yes, yeah. It is uh, extremely perplexing and concerning. Mm. So, and you mentioned earlier that there's this, um, there's more uh, multiple lambs being born. Is mm-hmm. it just a numbers game? Are they are they sort of uh, building into the system multiple lambs being born because they expect a certain number to die? So they're trying to make sure that, like, so they're almost building the death into it, or they're they're recognising death is going to be a big problem. So they um, have multiple lambs uh, become more prevalent. Is that, like, why are they going for multiple lambs if it's going to be more risky for the lambs? Well, I think ultimately everything does come down to money. They're, mm. they're taking choices that uh, will create more money for them. Mm. And you know, I've, I've wondered the same thing too. You'd think that if there are that many deaths, surely it, it's not profitable, but it must be because they keep doing it. They're selectively breeding ewes to have multiple births. And so there must be, even you know, despite these millions of deaths, there's still the money in it for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Mm. Mm. And they are, it must be factored into their budget each year that they are going to lose a certain percentage of lambs. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I also read that the um, Meat and Livestock Association predictions for 2021 were that... Uh, 20.8 million lambs would be going to slaughter. Mm-hmm. So it would be really fantastic if we could get some some figures and work out um, with that kind of number actually going to slaughter, what actually is the number of lambs that actually don't survive. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah. true. If you think of yeah. the lambs, the millions that die in those first 48 hours, mm. plus the ones that are taken between 48 hours and slaughter age, mm. and then the ones that are slaughtered, it's just the figure's enormous. Mm. It's almost hard to sort of comprehend. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, why don't we um, shift our focus a little bit and talk about um, the, the fortunate lambs, the lambs that are, that are rescued, and, um, and, and that process of actually rescuing the lambs and how they are cared for um, by the carers 
from mm-hmm. Lamb Care Australia. Uh, when the lambs come to us, they actually come to us from a um, variety of places where we're finding that we're being contacted more from councils, vets, um, RSPCA, members of the public. So there's a huge range of places that we get lambs from. So they come to us and we have uh, five, what we call it, five initial carers and the lambs go straight to one of those five carers. They're they're carers that are very skilled in um, especially treating sick lambs and a lot of the lambs that come to us, they do have, um, there's a high percentage that have some sort of illness. Mm -hmm. So the lambs go to them for, we make it at least a week just to determine their health, but we're finding that often they will stay longer because they come with health issues that do take longer to um, for us to fix. But when they've reached that level of health, then we have a network of foster carers. So we don't when we don't have a sanctuary where we keep all our mm. lambs. We do rely on a network of foster carers, and then we send the lambs off um, at least in pairs because you know sheep are flock animals; they're not supposed to be by themselves. Sometimes they might go in threes. Um, so then they'll spend time with a foster carer and usually that's until the lambs are weaned at about mm-hmm. sort of 10 to 12 weeks of age, you know, weaned off the milk. And then we have a network of um, what we call forever homes where they go to and that's where they live um, as, you know, members of the family basically, mm-hmm. like the cats or dogs, you know, they're, they're treated as well as anyone would treat their cat or dog. They're not there to breed, you know, they're not going to be killed. Mm. They just live there forever. So that's that. they're the sort of the steps we go through from rescue to um, forever home. Mm. And can you tell us a little bit more about what, is it, what does it look like for a lamb um, to live in your home? Um, what sort of <laughs> home would you need? Like what does a forever home for a lamb um, mean? Well, um, a forever home or the, or the fosters or both? Uh, yeah, let's go both. Let's mm. walk through the process. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the foster care, to foster, you actually don't have to have huge amount of land. Uh, I had my two, Ben and Dawn, and I lived in suburbs. I had a little bit of background, you know, grass, back, back, um, what do you call it, garden. (laughs) And that, because at that age, they do spend a lot of time inside. Mm. So it involves uh, feeding. You know, we start with when they're very young, they'll be fed. When they first arrive, they're fed probably every couple of hours. That gradually extends until they're fed about every six hours. And then, you know, once weaning starts, then you take away one feed a day and then another and, you know, to get them off their milk. So there's a lot of feeding involved. There's (laughs) nappy changes, many nappy changes a day because they're living inside. Um, People often say to us, you know, why do the lambs have nappies on? That's a purely practical reason because they are spending a lot of time inside. And then there's just oh, the time you spend with them. They're mm. so affectionate. They love, they love company. Um, it's just an amazing experience just to get to know them as individuals too as well. Mm. And then, um, yeah, once they're adopted, that's when, you know, if you adopt them, you do need some land. You do need bigger land because, of course, they need to be out in paddocks. They'll be outside. Um, but that first stage of foster caring, it's, it can be really done by a lot of people because it doesn't need, you know, you don't need to be living on a farm. Mm. What about other animals in the house? So dogs or cats? Is, there, is it um, a complex sort of thing or do they <laughs> sort of fit in with the family usually? I suppose it probably depends on the other animals. Mm. I mean, I've got cats as well and the ones that I've, when I had Ben and Dawn, plus the other ones that I've had for a short amount of time, um, my cats tend to just avoid them. The <laughs> lambs lambs don't really have much sense of um, personal space. <laughs> so, you know, I fi- I've found that they would just go up to my cats and try to, you know, check them out. And the cats are sort of like, oh, what are you? And run off. As far as dogs go, that we always say to people that depends on the individual dog. Mm, yeah. You know, some dogs will be fine. Some, you know, you would have to be careful about. Yep. Mm. Hmm. Fantastic. So... Just following on from that, can you tell us about some of the individual lambs that you have had come through Lamb Care Australia and, and some of the success stories and some of the personalities? Personalities are just varied. Every lamb has a different personality. I don't know that people – I think a lot of people don't see sheep like that. Mm. They see sheep out in a paddock. They all 
think they look the same, behave the same. They stay in a flock. You know, they stay in a flock because they're intelligent enough to know that this is a safety thing for them. If they stay in a flock, it, it keeps them safe. I mean, we use the, it's derogatory to call people sheep because mm. it, it sort of um, means, oh, you're just the same as everyone else, mm. right? Mm. Um, but that's not the case. That's not the case mm. at all. I mean, I, I have um, eight sheep now and they all have just totally different personalities. They, um, they all interact with me. They all have a different way of interacting. They love affection. They love to be scratched and they all have different, you know, some love to be scratched under the neck, some behind the ear, on the head, you know, it's all, they're all different. They all have their different preferences. Mm-hmm. And Ben and Dawn, who I mentioned um, a little while ago, I had both of them from a couple of weeks of age. So they grew up together. They grew up with me. They were treated exactly the same and they could not be more different in personality. Mm. Ben's, but they're just over four years old now. And I always say Ben is going to be the boss sheep one day of the flock. (laughs) (laughs) He's always had confidence. I have a photo and some videos of him as a a very young lamb when I first introduced them to the flock. And he would just go up straight up to the big ones he just he's just always had confidence whereas dawn is totally the opposite she's been the lowest for a long time she's been the lowest in the rank because you know sheep have a hierarchy she um would sort of flinch away from the other sheep if they came near her i mean i have a great connection with her we've always been really close mm. but they're two personalities they just couldn't be any different there's just extremes in personality um, so that's, yeah, that's sort of the personality side of them. And mm. then you asked about success stories. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think we have had a few big success stories. Um, we did have a lamb who needed a leg amputated and she's gone on to grow, you know, really well. She's, mm. she's doing well. I suppose the biggest success story, like the one that impacted on me the most, would be a lamb I had last year called Mimi. And I think a lot of people that follow our Facebook page will know Mimi. She was very popular. And when she came to me, well, she actually came to me and I thought I'd have her for a week or two before she died because we were told that she had uh, brain damage mm. and she just she couldn't walk. She couldn't even stand up. And it was sort of like the – she was alert. So there were certain functions there, but I think the connection to her actually walking wasn't there. And there was this uh, suspected hydrocephalus, which is fluid on the brain, so quite mm. a few significant issues. So I decided um, – you know, I'd, I'd look after her for the couple of weeks and see her through. And then, um, oh, she was just gorgeous. Like when she was tiny, she was about two kilos when she arrived. Mm. And then I had her for the day, the next day. And every, every so often I'd just sort of try to stand her up to see if, you know, there was possibly any improvement. And the second day she decided she'd stand up and then she started walking and she started running and it, she just went from there. So somehow... Mm. We can't explain. It was like suddenly the connection was made mm. and she just went on from there. And now she um, – I had her for four, uh, four or five weeks and now she's at her forever home and she's doing really, really well. So to go from a lamb who we thought would only last a week or two mm. to seeing her now is just amazing. So I suppose because she was with me for that long – She's one that I'll never forget, but we certainly have had other big success stories as well, mm. like Heidi, who was the one with the leg amputation. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, shall we go for a song? We're about a quarter way through. Sure. Yeah. Um, so this song is Riverside by Agnes O'Bell. Goes to be alone where you won't see. 
NPR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. So it's up to us. The people, we need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Radio Radiothon, community powered radio. To donate, call 03. 03- 94198377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au And welcome back to Freedom of Species here on 3CR and that song was Riverside by Agnes Obell, a beautiful tune and although we're not in Radiothon this week, uh, Radiothon was last week, we are still looking for donations to keep 3CR alive, keep all the radical radio and all the great um, work of the people here on the airwaves. So if you're a listener, if you're a regular listener and you can afford to help out 3CR to stay on the air, um, feel free to donate online, 3cr.org.au and and keep your favourite um, shows and all of the good stuff keeping on coming. Mm, thanks. And we're on air with Robin from Lambcare Australia talking about all things lambs. So can you tell us, Robin, about how people can um, support Lamb Care Australia? How can they get involved? What can they do? What do you need? All of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a variety of areas if people want to help. Uh, A good place to go to is actually our website, uh, which is lambcareaustralia.org.au. We have a Get Involved page. So on that page, um, there's three main areas. Of course, there's just volunteering. There's Mm -hmm. quite a... A uh, few areas where people can volunteer their time. So, and those those areas are listed there. There's we always need help at events. <laughs> when we, you know, we have a stolen event, that's the sort of thing people can help with. But there are other areas as well. Foster caring mm-hmm. is an area that you know a lot of people wouldn't think about, but we're always you know because of course we can't because we don't have a sanctuary. We can't operate if we don't have the foster carers and mm-hmm. the forever homes. So. Those two areas are definitely areas mm. that people can get involved in to help us out. Mm. What does it What does it look like to volunteer to foster care yeah. to start with first? So if you were if someone was sort of like, oh, I, I'm I'm really like fostering. I already fostered kittens or something in the past. Mm-hmm. I'd love to maybe foster a lamb. What does it look like? Is there? Do you help people learn how to foster properly? Like, what's the process? Well, I, first, I, I suppose first people need to make sure they do have a suitable area in their home. You know, they do need a room, a secure area and a little bit mm-hmm. of outside space. And once they once they do foster, we have people on hand to help, you know, to advise. But it's not like, you know, here are your lambs, off you go. Mm. <laughs> uh, we do have, we have people on hand to advise all the time for problems, for any health issues, just for anything. Feeding, you know, feeding is really important because there are, uh, certain feeding rates that are always based on the weight of the lamb. So mm-hmm. we've always got people on hand to help with that. So it's not, an, you know, you, as I said, you're not sort of giving your lambs and then off you go. You're working with people all the time. So as long as you have a space in your house, a little bit of outdoor space, that's basically what it is. And we, we have, um, <laughs> this year we had a foster carer who she was just going to foster and she became so attached to her lambs that she's actually adopted them. So I don't think we've had many, if any, that have um, found it a bad experience. People people do find it a really rewarding experience. Mm. Mm. Mm, fantastic. So in terms of events, how can people help with events? What type of things would, would you be looking for? Um, we have a trivia event coming up mm-hmm. on August 14. It was postponed from earlier in the year due to COVID. So... Um, 
I should probably yeah, advertise that a little bit. People can come to that <laughs> if they want to help because we do need to sell tickets. But that's the sort of thing that if you become a volunteer for us, you can help out at that, you know, helping out at events like that or, you know, World Vegan Day, uh, if we have a stall anywhere. Uh, we have transport volunteers as well. Transport volunteers are really important because um, our initial carers live... They're, they're quite spread out over Victoria and plus then mm. our foster carers and, and forever homes, it's very spread out. So we're always relying on our transporters mm. to take lambs from one place to another. Mm. So there's, there is, there's a variety of um, you know, areas people can help. In one area we're really looking for, if there is anyone out there, <laughs> is someone to do videos for us, a videographer who could you know, take videos and edit them. We have um, a team of photographers this year three mm. photographers who um, they'll go to the initial carers and take photos. Um, we're going to be getting them out now, sort of moving into um, a lot of lambs being in foster care. We're also going to get them to go there. But what we're really looking for is someone who has skills as a videographer. Mm. So, yeah, if there is anyone out there, <laughs> get in contact with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think volunteering is such a rewarding thing to do. Mm-hmm. I can put my hand up that I've done some transport, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's been fantastic um, meeting all these gorgeous lambs yeah. and taking them to their next place. And even if the interaction is quite brief, that um, you see they are all such gorgeous individual mm. personalities. Mm, definitely. And um, it's just so rewarding to to just help in, in, in a small way, Yep. Um, you know, get them get them to the care that they need. Mm-hmm. So I would highly encourage people if you're if you're able to assist in that way to do so. Mm. It's all it's also like that's that's all very true and it is really war- rewarding and lambs are such gorgeous um such gorgeous uh, critters um to be helping. There there are I know some people who have have um fostered very small lambs. It's like fostering a small kitten or a small dog mm. it takes quite a lot of work to you know you've got to be up regularly to feed and that means being up at night for instance mm-hmm. so going into it with your eyes open knowing yeah. that it um you might have to take the lamb with you to work for oh well work's not an issue anymore because <laughs> none of us are going to work <laughs> but um i know i know someone who was working at a um as a legal advisor or as a lawyer and they would take the lamb into their office, oh, wow. and that actually made a lot of the um, a lot of the people in there reconsider things. But yeah, yeah so thinking that they do they do need that attention because they're usually with their mother, sure. and it, like uh, Robin said, it's fed every couple of hours. They've That's got it. availability to ha- mm. to be um, fed every couple of hours. So you need to yeah. sub you need to be that person in that place. For sure, they're but ba- having said babies, that, though, yeah, mm. we do have a flex. Um, we do have flexibility there. Okay. Uh, somebody might say to us, "Yes, I'd like to foster, but I can't do two alley feeds." So they would get them a little bit later, a little bit when they're a little mm. bit older. Maybe they might be on the six alley feeds, and mm. six alley feeds are a right. lot easier to manage. Yep. Yep. Uh, mm. So there is there is flexibility there, or you can, as you said, you can have them uh, when they're very young and they might be being fed every year, three, four hours at the start when by the time they reach a foster carer. That's great. Mm. That's good to know that there yeah. is that flexibility. Yep. Makes mm. it much more um, achievable for mm-hmm. a wider number of people. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think yeah. the thing, the important thing to remember for everyone is that you do have to take two, minimum of two. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And what are other ways that people can support Lamb Care Australia? You know, if we have people listening today who are really touched by these stories and we'll also share some information mm-hmm. with the podcast about Lamb Care Australia, people can look up. If they're not in Victoria, how can people help? Money is always great. Sure, <laughs> sure. We, um, I mean, a lot of people will know we did get a grant this year in the state budget. But of course, that's, you know, that could be a one-off. And we, um, last year, we our vet bills were around about $35,000. So the grant we got from the government uh, this year, it will go very quickly. So we still, even though, you know, we were given that money, we still need to raise money. So Mm. money's always um, a good thing (laughs) and that Mm. can be done via our website. We've got a donate page on our website and and people can go there. There's also, we have a shop Mm. and we're building that up. There's a few merchandise items there already and that will... um, you know, hopefully that'll gradually build so people can buy things from the shop, hoodies, T-shirts, key rings, cups. Mm-hmm. And the other way is there's a wish list. 
So if people would like to donate, I mean, some some people will contact us and say, you know, I'd like to buy some nappies and they go out and buy nappies and they deliver them to one of our, you know, contact points. But an easier and even easier way is on the wish list where there's several items listed. So it's like a virtual mm. shop almost, you know, where people mm-hmm. pay for the item we get the money and then we buy the item. So mm-hmm. it's they don't have to go shopping, they don't have to step out the front door. It's just a matter of um, choosing the item they want to supply and mm-hmm. sending the money. Mm-hmm. I remember doing that with a farm sanctuary with um, watermelon. I might have been, not sure if it was for sheep, I think it might have been for chickens and they loved it during yeah. the summer. Ah. <laughs> nice big watermelon. Yeah. My sheep love watermelon too. <laughs> it might have been for sheep, I think it was. Actually. But chickens yeah. do, yeah. 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 <laughs> So what kind of items and what kind of support do you need? Like, What could people um, fund if they go to the wish list page? Oh, there's a variety. There's um, nappies, bottles. It's a, we've made it so there's a variety of cost involved. You know, mm. if you uh, can spend more, that's great. If, if not, that's still fine. So, yeah, I'm um, trying to remember now. There's nappies, there's bottles, uh, milk powder, milk formula, because mm. we go through that, a huge amount of that. Sure. Then there's, uh, I think, some bigger items where you're contributing to vet fees. You know, mm. they get sort of the more expensive items. But, um, mm. yeah, offhand, they're the main ones. Yeah, fantastic. Excellent. So I guess what other things would you like to tell us about lamb care and lambs? I I suppose I'd like to talk about our initial carers, actually, because yeah, I think... Yeah. They're a really important part. I mean, everyone in our organisation is important because, you know, we run solely on volunteers, so everyone has a really important role. Our initial carers probably have one of the hardest roles. You know, they they take in the lambs when they first arrive, as I said earlier, and a lot of the lambs we find are not in good shape Mm. and they can have quite serious illnesses. And the initial carers will be you know, during the night with them, depending on how sick they are. You know, there's a lot of time and care involved, you know, vet visits, things like that. But um, just even just the time at home looking after them. And the emotional toll for them is really hard, mm. I think, too, because, of course, you know, we have deaths. It's not always good. It's not always, you know, a happy story for every lamb that comes to us. And we will do everything we can to save that lamb. We're not going to think, oh, they're sick, you know. Mm. Uh, we're not going to help them. We do everything we can. And those initial carers can put hours and hours of time in the emotional toil it takes when the lambs don't make it. Mm. Um, sometimes the decision has, you know, might have to be made to put the lamb to sleep. You know, we've exhausted every opportunity. That's often a big, um, it's more intuitive as well. Sometimes it's just, I suppose it's, it's, it's probably similar to when you have your own animal. Mm. And you just sort of know, you know when it's time for them to go. and But, you know, it's just an incredibly hard thing for them to have to do. Mm. And that does happen. It's, it's It doesn't happen with a huge percentage, but it does happen every year for each carer. Mm. Yeah, that must be extremely, extremely taxing. And as you say, they, they have pairs of lambs or, or, mm-hmm. or more than the two and sort of looking after them all and they've all got um, their own individual needs mm-hmm. um, must be really, yeah, really quite taxing. Yeah, I think. Mm. And so they they have a really specialist role within the organisation. Mm. Um, not, not everyone can do that. And, you know, the skills they learn, mm. um, it's quite, I'm always quite amazed at, at what they do and yeah. just how they cope emotionally mm. yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. There are some other there are some other things that I've um as you've been talking I just wanted to sort of mention not not sure what um, sort of response you might have but it seemed to me earlier on you were talking about you know it's millions of lambs dying every year um, from exposure and these sorts of things and I imagine it's most mostly probably exposure and malnutrition um, because there's competition between the multiple lambs perhaps for a you. Um, and for their care, um, but also you mentioned um, you mentioned predators, mm-hmm. and what we don't hear a lot about in the narrative around we hear a lot about predators taking lambs, 
and then that justifying the killing of predator animals, whether it's dingoes, whether it's foxes, whether it's other, other animals. But we don't hear about the millions and millions of lambs dying of exposure. Mm. And people, and it just highlights the complexity of, um, of the, the interactions between different animals and how we leverage that as a society to foster or to um, sort of put forward the ideas that we're most interested in. And from this, I'm, I'm speaking about the farmers. They're interested in setting up the predator as the baddie so that they can do whatever they want to them. Whereas if you looked at the proportions of lambs that are being killed by predators versus mm. exposure, I imagine predators are a very, very small, small number in that, in that um, equation. But we put so much effort into that. Do you have any, any sort of mm. thoughts on that? I think uh, predators are definitely, you can't deny that predators mm. are an issue. They certainly do get some lambs. Yeah. But you also can't deny that exposure is, is a really big thing. But it's hard to admit that... Um, it's yeah. It's an easy. I think it's an easier way out to to blame it on the predators. Mm. Definitely, yeah. Well, I think it's deemed the the natural way of things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. That you know we always have predators. What can we do apart mm-hmm. from then culling the predators? You know, it's a it's an easy scapegoat, if you if you will, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. then you can get into the whole issue of you know sheep aren't naturally that uh what do you call it they're not natural native, to native yeah. native yeah. sorry they're mm. not native to australia you know it's all uh interference by there's so much interference in the natural way of things mm-hmm. um you know from the multiple births um it's just everything you know is interference the fact that you know even that sheep need shearing now mm. uh nat- um originally sheep didn't need shearing so there are certain types, like there's a dorper sheep now, they're self-shedding. But originally all sheep were self-shedding. Mm-hmm. And so there was, um, I mean, that is getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but the issues of, of shearing mm-hmm. wouldn't exist except that um, humans have interfered to make money. And then it all, you know, everything does come back to money. Mm-hmm. I mean, want- that the sheep industry exists at all. Yes. Mm-hmm. It comes yes. back to humans just wanting yeah. to make money mm. and eat, eat animals, right? And that's, of course, you know, yeah. it's not just not just the sheep industry, is it? It's right across the board. It's just yeah. the way humans, a lot of humans are made. The money is what mm-hmm. they want and they look for any anyone to take advantage of to um, to make money. Mm. Mm. And the other, the other thing that I wanted to sort of, um, I'm not sure what your thoughts will be on this, but, you know, Let's put aside the fact, like, of the sheep industry. I have lots of thoughts about that, and people who listen to the show will know what my thoughts are and um, maybe what their thoughts are as well. But let's say the sheep industry exists and there are these sheep that are at risk and they need rescue. It's true. There's lots of sheep that are at risk um, and your organisation is doing a really good job of looking after them. A um, A similar sort of situation happens in the greyhound industry where you've got or the, the greyhound racing dogs and then um, you've got all of these animals that are then being killed prematurely mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now there's there's this situation where they're trying to sanitise the industry by adopting out a whole lot of dogs or putting that work mm-hmm. onto good, good people who are doing volunteer work mm-hmm. to adopt out those dogs and those volunteers are taking on the costs mm-hmm. of the industry's issues Mm -hmm. like besides the point of like transitioning away from lamb industry altogether (laughs) um transitioning to plant-based agriculture shouldn't the lamb industry be bearing the cost of looking after these lambs yeah that's a hard one i mean that does as you said exist in more than just the sheep industry and Mm. I, i think that is it's one of the things we're always aware of that we are in a way cleaning up after the industry but we can't not do it you know it's mm-hmm. <laughs> when you think of all those individual lives yeah. um and i suppose that's why then you know people adopt greyhounds mm. it's yeah, i've got a greyhound uh, at home okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and in a way yeah we are almost helping to sustain the industry in doing what they do but on the other hand, you, you can't not do it because yeah. you what's can't the just leave. Exactly, right. what's the alternative? Mm. No, I think it's a bit different um, with the lambs because 
yeah, those those lands would just be dead otherwise, wouldn't they? It's it, it's such a complex. It is. It's it such is. a complex um, mm-hmm. situation, but it sort of speaks to that complexity within our society and how animals uh, are just sort of the values that we place in animals changes depending on who you are and where you are in society, and that's really mm. yeah, it's complicated. It also it depends on the animal too. You know, mm. we would never treat our cats and dogs like lambs, for example. Lambs are treated. Mm. People, it comes down to people's perception of the animals. Mm. Um, and I think for a lot of, I think a big part of the problem is people just haven't made that connection with the animals. Mm. They probably, the closest they ever get to them would be driving past a paddock and seeing mm. sheep, you know, and lambs in a paddock and they'll look happy, you know, there they are. And they don't, they don't connect then that animal with the uh tray of meat or whatever you buy to meet on now. Mm. Um, they mm. don't uh, connect it to what they're actually buying and that mm. through their choices by buying lamb to eat, for example, or wearing wool, mm-hmm. they're enabling the industry to continue. So mm. I think a lot of people, it's easy for people to say, oh, yeah, look at, you know, look at those farmers, look at the industry, yeah, that's bad, that's, that's awful, that's awful. But the fact is it's down to the general public to do something about it. If people stop eating lamb, if they stop wearing wool, then there's no industry. Mm. Yeah. So it does come down to the individual person and their and their lifestyle choices, definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think there's structural and individual issues certainly at, at play. And it, I think you, that's a really good point that it's sort of the individual is forgotten. We, we don't mm-hmm. recognise the individuality of these sheep. I went and mm. watched Gunda last night. Um, Gunda is a is a um, mm. documentary about a pig in a open range um, farm. Like it's it's sort of if you think of the idyllic quotes um, idyllic life of a pig, it's it's that. But then, and you get you get an hour and a half to um, over months of of footage to really learn about this individual and mm. connect with this individual, and then you know, something happens at the end and it's sort of like, wow, that, that's, that's hard. That's yeah. hard to see. Um, and uh, Yeah, I wonder if people not just sort of seeing a, a sheep in a, a petting zoo <laughs> where mm-hmm. they just go and they mm-hmm. use the, the sheep to make themselves feel happy and, and give mm-hmm. them a pet, um, but if people really got to meet a, a, she- a sheep, an individual sheep, mm. and got to learn who they were mm. and experience them over a period of time, became friends with them. I think, I think we don't have many of those opportunities or those stories out there, um, but it sounds like that your work is, is helping do that, helping mm. people meet and, and understand sheep. Who well, they hope, are. Yeah, I mm. hope so. I mm. hope that is, um, you know, we do post about all the lambs that come into our care mm-hmm. and we are we do try to get people to connect to them but um i suppose yeah ideally that would be great if everyone could do that and every, everyone could see them as an individual which mm-hmm. they they definitely are it's like as i said it's no different if you have your cat or dog you know you know mm-hmm. your cat's got personalities you know your dog has personalities you know they mm-hmm. they feel fear they feel have emotions everything lambs are no different sheep are no different mm-hmm. And um, if people would realise that, hopefully, I don't know, that might help them to to sort of reconsider their lifestyle choices. Mm. Mm. Although, you know, <laughs> it's hard because I think there is that connection there where I've never, I've never quite understood why some people can make the connection and others can't. Mm. Um, even people I've known that have had that connection where I've showed them a lamb, they've held the lamb and it's like this, they've just loved holding this lamb, this lamb's so cute and everything. But then they go and eat lamb. Right. It's that sort of the psychology of it. I don't. I don't understand. I don't know why some people are able to break through that and make that connection, mm. and other people just can't do it. It's too. I think it's too ingrained in them to mm. make that change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 what we're working towards, isn't it? That's what we're all. That's what we're all working on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a hard one. Yeah. No. yeah. Shall we listen to one more song before sure. we will have to wrap up soon? But um, this one is. First Day of My Life by Bright Eyes. This is the first day of my life 
swear I was born right in the doorway I went out in the rain, suddenly everything changed They're spreading blankets on the beach Yours is the first face that I saw I think I was blind before I met you And I don't know where I am, I don't know where I've been But I know where I want to go And so I thought I'd let you know Yeah, these things take forever I especially am slow But I realized that I need you And I wondered if I could come home time you drove all night just to meet me in the morning and I thought it was strange you said everything changed you felt as if you just woke up and you said this is the first day of my life I'm glad I didn't die before I met you But now I don't care, I could go anywhere with you And I'd probably be happy So if you wanna be with me With these things there's no telling We just have to wait and see But I'd rather be working for a paycheck Than waiting to win the lottery Besides, maybe this time is different I mean, I really think you like me And welcome back. You're listening to Freedom of Species here on 3CR Community Radio. Make sure you subscribe and donate to keep us on the air. And that was First Day of My Life by Bright Eyes, a brilliant artist. Check out all of their stuff. They're amazing. And we're about to wrap up. And we're back with Robin from Lambcare Australia. Anything that you'd like to say before we have to call it a wrap for the show? Um, I suppose I'd probably just like to remind people that we have our trivia event coming up August 14 and they can see the details of it on our website on the blog section or I think you'll be putting a link up on your website. And while they're there, I would suggest that everyone goes to the Our Lambs page Mm -hmm. because there's photos and updates of all our lambs that have come in this year Mm -hmm. and if you don't look at those lambs or those photos and make some connection with them, I don't know what will but that's, that's a great page to look at. Great suggestion. Um, yeah. I love seeing all those faces. I've been fortunate enough to meet a few of them doing some transport, but yeah, they're all gorgeous. Yep. And they're all they worthy are. of support. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And just remember that if you do eat lamb, that's who you'll be eating, basically. <laughs> it's a hard thing to say, but it's true. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming in, Robin. That's okay. We've loved having you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. <laughs> and we're on every Sunday. Uh, one till two make sure you um, tune in next week or listen via podcast which you probably are and for the next few uh, next couple of months i think um the slot after ours is a just a general music music slot so people from around the station who are interested in music um, are going to be popping in so you're going to have different people um each week uh sharing a little bit of their 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 tunes and their take on music so Check it out. Stay tuned for that. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. All the best. Community Powered Radio. Community Powered Radio. We are not the sheep. We live behind the scenes. Radio. Radio. Yeah, this is 3CR, your radio. Powered Radio. By the community, for the community. Powered Radio.
donate to 3CR's Radiothon. Call now, 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. There's an ocean breaking in your heart and I have got to fix it. I just can't sleep until I fix it. I wait to the hardaway store, but they don't got, they don't got what you need. They don't got what you need, so I order it even from a far away land and I wait with you until it arrives. I wait with you until it arrives and we still wait, still waiting, we're still waiting. The man in the store said, you must have got lost in the organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at bi-alliance.org. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. 